So today we're going to continue in our conversation in the synoptics and we're going to get to what is at the absolute center, the really key plot moment in each of our gospel accounts. And that is the, the death and far more importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this moment isn't only the center of the gospel accounts, but, but it's really it's the center of Scripture. Now, one of the phrases that sometimes used is the centrality of Christ in God's word. And really what that frames is this idea that the entire story of God's word has a central point, and that is the resurrection of Jesus and what that means on behalf of the believers today. So we're going to begin by, by taking a step back again and looking at the entirety of Scripture and taking a glance at the centrality of Christ throughout all of Scripture. Now, there's three really fun symbolic moments to me which really speak and communicate this clearly, that right from the start, of the original covenant between God and his people, uh, Israel expressed in Abraham, all the way to the coming of Jesus. And then further to the end of the story in Revelations, we see these three pictures that again point to Christ at the absolute center of everything that we know in scripture. And it gives us an interesting tool, I guess, as we engage with scripture that we interpret everything we see in scripture through the lens of the resurrection of Christ. So it all begins, as I said, with Abraham and Isaac. And there's a certain point in Abraham Abraham's life when the promised son Isaac finally is born and comes into Abraham's life as a, a promise that they've been waiting for for many years. And then the time comes when Abraham's faith is tested. Some of you would know this story. And initially it seems quite, quite barbaric, quite outrageous that God would do this. But he says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, Isaac. Now, immediately in this call for us as modern day readers, we see a foreshadowing of what God would do in the giving of his son, Jesus, as the coming sacrificial lamb. But Abraham, he responds to God's call and they, they walk up the mountain ready to make the sacrifice. But Abraham doesn't communicate to Isaac what they're about to do. And on their way up to the, the place where they would offer their sacrifice, Isaac, the, the young boy, he becomes aware that the lamb for the sacrifice is missing. They carry the wood, they, they carry the fire ready to, to make this sacrifice before God. And there's a really significant and symbolic question that Isaac asks, which in a lot of ways frames the entire journey of God's people all the way up to the coming of the Messiah. And it's this question, where is the lamb? We have the wood, we have the fire, but but dad, where is the lamb? And Abraham replies that God will provide. And they get up to the, the mountain ready to make the sacrifice. And of course, God stops Abraham. He says, Abraham, wait, stop. And then a lamb emerges from a nearby, thick, uh, nearby thicket and God provides the lamb for the sacrifice. So the story of, of that covenant relationship between God and his people begins with this question, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb that can be the provision between the separation between me and God? Then the story continues and finally we get to, to the gospel accounts. And in fact, in our non-synoptic gospel, John, we, we see the story of John the Baptist preparing the way. And he makes a very profound and important statement that the question of the Old Testament is where is the Lamb? Where is the Messiah? Where is the provision of God coming? And then John the Baptist makes the declaration, behold the Lamb. As Jesus begins his public ministry, behold the lamb, the provision of God has come in the form of the son, in the form of the Messiah, and here he is, Jesus of Nazareth. And then most of the New Testament, in fact, all of the New Testament from that point is the outworking of that Christ now is the Messiah. He is the point of connection between us and God. And then all the way and finally in Revelations, we see a picture of thousands upon thousands of angels declaring, worthy is the lamb. 
Now, in these three statements, these three pictures in, in Scripture, we see everything pointing towards Jesus, that it begins with a question, where is the lamb? It continues with a statement, behold the lamb. Jesus is the provision of God. And then it continues all the way through and, and all of the story of Scripture and, and indeed the story of our lives and how our faith connects and centers in God is that Jesus is worthy, that he is the lamb that has defeated sin, that has defeated death, and that we find relationship in God through him. So there's a big overarching picture of the center of scripture, which is Jesus, the centrality of Christ. Now, each of our synoptic authors take a lot of time and bring a lot of detail around the the story of Jesus's death and of course, resurrection, which is the center of their stories, which is the center of scripture. And each one of them makes a really strong link between what's come to be called as the Last Supper. So Jesus sitting at a table with his 12 disciples and they share a very significant meal together. Now at that time in Jerusalem, everyone in Israel had gathered for one of their three pilgrimages where they'd go to Jerusalem to commemorate something very important in their history which was God's provision in ancient Israel, leading them out of Egypt into the promises and the freedom that God had for them. The Exodus. This was a very important part of Israel's history. And the Passover celebration was all about this moment, the freedom and provision in God leading us out of captivity. So the Passover meal and the Last Supper, there's a very important link that's been drawn to Israel's history in Exodus. Now what happens in the 10th plague in Egypt, God instructs his people to take the blood of the lamb, again, this imagery of the lamb, and to to cover the archways of their doors so that when the spirit of God passes over, they would have the provision and the protection of God. And uh, and as that happened, of course, they they were kept safe through that moment, through the blood of the lamb. And really that moment was the moment which led to them entering into the promises of God, freedom from captivity, and an exodus from slavery. So this is a really important moment in their history. Now, Jesus is going to give a new context at the table for what it means to experience an exodus, not geographically, but an exodus of the soul away from sin. So in Exodus in Egypt, we have the the imagery of the the blood of the lamb across the door. And then Jesus is going to do something new here in this moment. And he invites the disciples to take the, the blood, the wine and the bread, his body, and to participate in a symbolic meal that was their way of being of partnering with the covenant and the commitment that Jesus was making. A new covenant, a new commitment, a new expression of faith now in the provision of Christ and what he was about to do upon the cross. And of course, this time it was a freedom from the captivity of sin and spiritual death. And so the disciples, they they share in this covenant meal, they partake of the blood of the body of Christ that in many of our our church traditions and, and expressions still today that we still center in this moment of communion in our services, which points to this same moment of shared covenant in Christ and what he was doing. So the disciples share in this meal and what the the synoptic authors are really trying to communicate that Jesus and the provision of Jesus that we see throughout all of scripture is about recognizing that Christ, who is the lamb, he has come, he is worthy and he has taken us from a position of spiritual slavery, captivity to sin, captivity to, to, to brokenness and separation from God. And he has broken that 
and now provided through the giving of his blood and his body upon the cross, that there is now freedom from captivity. And the disciples are the first ones that, that Jesus expresses this to. And then, of course, through preserved through Scripture in our synoptics, we see the same story being told, a story that was echoed throughout Scripture, a story that we see a foreshadowing of again in the exodus of Israel and ancient Egypt to what God was ultimately going to do through the giving of the Son, through the Messiah, to bring a freedom once and for all, for all people, that there would be no separation between creation and creator. And that's at the heart of the Synoptic Gospels and this link between God's provision through the blood of the Lamb. You know, this is something for us as as present day followers of Jesus that we can never forget, that we can never lose sight of, that our provision is in the Lamb, that our salvation is in the Lamb. It's the center of everything to simply recognize that Jesus has come, that Jesus has redeemed, that Jesus has brought renewal, and it's all in his name, and it's by faith in me through his grace that I can know that freedom from captivity. So something else that I wanted to touch on today as we consider the resurrection and in light of what we know about the synoptic authors and the, of course the great similarities that we've touched on earlier in this online series, but also some of the points of difference. Now the accounts of the resurrection are an interesting series of passages to look at when it comes to observing the different details that each of our synoptic gospel author provides. Now let's begin with Mark. Mark gives by far the least de- detail. He merely tells the story of three women, Mary, Mary and Salome, coming to to anoint the body of Jesus. But when they arrive, they're met by an angel declaring that Jesus has risen, that he's not here. He's the resurrection. And the women run to tell the disciples and tell them the great revelation that they've had of the resurrection of Jesus on behalf of these angelic beings. And for Mark, that's enough, that this simple story and this small amount of detail is enough to the declaration that Jesus is risen. Now, both Matthew and Luke, they provide a lot of extra detail, but they also focus on those details in slightly different ways to bring different things out of the resurrection account. And as we continue, we remember that whenever we use this word synoptic and the synoptic gospels, it's saying that we see these together, that we see these three accounts working together to give us the picture of the resurrection and what was happening in the lives of the disciples and the eyewitness accounts of Jesus in those moments. So we'll move on to Matthew. Now, Matthew gives us a lot more detail around some of the opponents of the early church and the opponents of Jesus. He includes in his account, the perspective of the chief priests, that they were worried that Jesus would in fact raise from the dead. They knew that that there'd been stories of resurrection like Lazarus, and they were worried what it would do on behalf of the people if Jesus truly did rise from the dead. And, uh, And they were also worried that if that didn't happen, the disciples would manufacture a situation where they could uh, basically tell people uh, with, with through lying that, that Jesus was resurrected by stealing his body in the middle of the night. So the chief priests decide to put guards on duty at the at the tomb. This, this part of the story is only given in Matthew. And then and a similar part of the account that now lines up with Mark's is the women come to experience Jesus. And when they get there, there are angels there that reveal again that Jesus is risen, that there's a mighty earthquake, that the, the soldiers guarding the tomb, they fall as dead, almost comatose 
place before the power of God as part of that resurrection story. Now, I wonder why Matthew might include this detail. As we touched earlier about the different authors and the different perspectives they bring, and when I say earlier, I mean earlier in our series, and encourage you to go back and check out uh, our first pod on this. But, but we know that Matthew, he's writing to an audience, a Jewish audience, to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah, that he really is the promised Messiah. So he includes this story to challenge what had become uh, a story of opposition to the resurrection of Jesus, that it was just the disciples that stole Jesus's body. And in fact, the chief priests later on in the story, and Matthew also gives this detail, the chief priest pay these guards to circulate a story that the disciples came when they were asleep and stole the body away. So you could imagine if you're a Jewish individual that has rejected Jesus as the Messiah, then this story circulated by the chief priests and the guards at that time is what you were prescribing to. That you're saying, no, the disciples just stole his body. Jesus was an amazing individual, but not our Messiah. So Matthew includes this extra detail to really convince people and build his argument that no, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is the resurrection and new and resurrection of the soul is found in him as well. So in Matthew's account, we find those details around the opposition. And in Luke's account, similarly to, to Matthew and Mark tells the same story of the, the women coming to experience, uh, coming to anoint the body of Jesus rather, and they experience an angel declaring that he's not here, he's risen. And then Luke chooses to focus his energy on some other details, in particular, the, the road to Emmaus, where Jesus meets with, uh, with not two disciples, but two of the, the followers of Christ, two of the, the believers of Christ that now lead leaving Jerusalem almost after this, this weekend of absolute pain and turmoil, Jesus reveals himself to them as they're, they're walking on the way to, uh, on the road to Emmaus away from Jerusalem. And, and there's this almost in the conversation that, that Jesus has with them. And interestingly, he doesn't reveal himself to them right away. But as they're walking along, he tells the stories of the, the Old Testament and the kingdom of God and how it all fits together. And then it, it isn't until later on that as they arrive at a certain point that Jesus keeps walking and the, the followers of Christ say, no, no, come, keep talking to us as if our, our hearts were on fire as you, you told the stories of God. And then at that moment, Jesus reveals himself as Jesus, as the son of God. And it's almost like Luke includes this, this detail so you could see that continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament as Jesus communicates everything about their history uh, as they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And then after that, reveals himself as the fulfillment to everything that's been in their past. And it's a wonderful story that we find in Luke. So, so again, as we look at the, the different accounts of the resurrection, the synoptics, we've got to remember, okay, what was the intention of our authors? What was the things that shaped what they were focusing on? And, uh, and, uh, and hopefully that can be helpful for you as you, you engage and read with these passages. And my encouragement to you, maybe if you're wanting to, to dig a little deeper on this, is to, to read each of the resurrection accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and notice the, the different focuses that they, they bring their writing energy to, and why would they include that in the story? And always remembering that we see these together to see the picture of Christ and his resurrection. 